So we are live. I'm here with Chad. Chad, how are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Nice to see your face finally after uh, it's been a, a year or so yeah. that I've sort of been aware of your presence. Uh, you left some really uh, interesting comments on a couple of my videos. And uh, before we get started, do you mind just giving a really quick summary of uh, like who you are and what kind of background you have in terms of uh, ideas or religion, stuff like that? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. I'm a uh, woman well, named Chad. I live in Colorado Springs. I'm in my 30s going to school right now for uh, radiology. Uh, but I have a passing interest in philosophy and religion. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, Protestant household when I was younger, uh, fell away from the faith, you know, around my teen years, as people often do. Um, and then, I don't know, somewhere around my mid-20s, I felt the urge to seek for God again. Um, not wouldn't say that I believed in him, but I felt the urge to, you know, make a connection with God if, if there is one. And that's what kind of led me back into philosophy and um, thinking about these things. And though I haven't come to recognize, you know, the existence of God, if there is one or the truth of any particular religion, um, I think the journey has been incredibly informative for me just in learning how to think and um, just realizing how many different ways there are to conceptualize and think about um think about controversial subjects like this um, because it's not a, it's not at all obvious what's true and what's false. Um, so that's, that's just a little bit about myself. Um, so I, I don't remember exactly what sparked my interest in this channel or what you said or what initially got me interested in talking to you uh, a year ago, but I do, I recently, like within the past week, I, I listened to a conversation you had with someone named, I think Alex, 16 year old kid. And uh, that kind of got me back into wanted to have a conversation so sure what'd you think of uh what'd you think of uh alex he reminds me a lot of myself when i was his age <laughs> sweet yeah. kid sweet kid and yeah. uh, he's going to come back uh this is the thing the beautiful thing about youth not to stereotype but you know youth you have a bit more energy your cpu is faster and um mm -hmm. you have a certain amount of innocence like i told him in uh, one of his interviews, he's done two already. Like I told yeah. him, uh, you know, the kids today, they lose their innocence very, very young. So, I mean, we're all wounded. And uh, at a certain point, once we've sort of talked about all the philosophical angles about uh, religion, God and religion, it would be nice to hear your thoughts about sin, this idea of sin. Like, do you feel like a sinner? Like, I, I felt like a sinner when I was an atheist, but um, I don't know if you want to address that quickly now, and then we'll get into yeah. philosophy or the other way around. Well, sure, we can talk. I mean, I, I could comment on that. Um, so I think um, a lot of times people will equate the word sin with any kind of immoral action or action that produces sort of a, an emotional response of empathy or guilt or something like that. So I do believe, you know, um, I do have a conscience and I have um, moral impulses, but I don't attribute them to any God. And so any violation of those impulses, I wouldn't qualify as sin because sin by definition entails the existence of some kind of mind that renders things right or wrong. And uh, I have a lot of opinions on, I have a lot of thoughts and views on morality and questions on morality. Uh, that wasn't really what I was hoping to talk talk sure. about much today but sure. i you know that's my that's my two cents no we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about the stuff that interests you most because that's okay. what gets you pumped up and that's where you can really uh dig deep 
and expose uh, because you know it's you and I don't necessarily agree about a, a whole bunch of stuff but it's hard it is hard to find someone that's willing to sit there and listen to you and to be a sounding board for your ideas that you've just sort of been turning over in your own head and if you could just bounce them off someone then you can realize, okay, well, this part of my thinking is strong. This other part is obviously weak. And yeah. uh, that's that's part of the benefit of doing something like this, especially with a stranger. Because yeah. if you were to do this with your mother or your sister or brother, whatever, um, mm. you might have a whole lot of uh, baggage that's keeping you confused about just the pure ideas that you want to play with, right? And this is what I'm right. most excited about. Other than God and religion, I'm, I'm excited about playing with ideas. There's a certain playfulness, there's a joy, there's an exploration and discovery, mm -hmm. and that I think you share that uh, that love of wisdom, that love of truth, right? You, you said something interesting there about um, recognizing areas you're strong in and areas you're not strong in, and I kind of think of that as, well, I my part of my purpose in this discussion is to, you know, get closer to truth if they're, you know, and... I'm just curious if you feel that it is an ep like an epistemic virtue to acknowledge the possibility that you could be wrong, generally speaking. For let's set aside God for for a second and religion, but I'm just curious if you think that generally speaking, the willingness to admit that you could be wrong about your beliefs, the possibility that you could be wrong about your beliefs, is an epistemic virtue. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you listened to last year. I sent you two videos that had to do with doubt, faith, and reason. Did you listen to them at all? Do you remember I, I anything did, about yeah. them? Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a year since I listened to them. I, yeah. Maybe I should have revisited but them. Doubt, but uh, doubt is essential to my worldview. Doubt is essential to yeah. my worldview. Except when it comes to certain propositions, perhaps, right? I like, cannot doubt the laws of thought. The law of non-contradiction is not subject to doubt. The law of the excluded middle, the law of identity, those are not subject to doubt. Um, there, there are some things that are self-evidently true, uh, you know, in terms of uh, axiomatic logical principles, the principle of causality. Like once you have the material world, once you have a foundation to believe in the material world and the, the existence of the other, uh, then the laws of, uh, for example, causality, sufficient reason, all these sorts of things come into play. So, yeah, there are a lot of things I do not doubt, I will not doubt, I cannot doubt, because... You Go ahead. So, sorry, is, um, you mentioned the laws of thought, but what is the existence of God in there as well as one of those things that you just you think can't be doubted? Yes, it is. Okay. Now that I went from atheism to monotheism, now I understand that God cannot be doubted. And uh, did you notice that I just responded to your long-winded comment on Alex's thing? Did you read my comment? I did, yeah. I was hoping we could we could talk about yeah, that a little bit. Because that's cool. very um, relevant. Yeah, all right. Let me go to that. Um, I think I actually have it pulled up right here. So you say... Wait, maybe, do you want to read yours I, first? I want to provide a little context on this first. Yeah, you can I, read your entire read, comment if you want, even though it's long. Uh, I, you know, I don't or know... summarize if, it. Okay. Um, uh, let's just... Let's start from... Let's start from the beginning, which was your conversation with with Alex. Sure. Um, so you, I, I had a little bit of trouble understanding. Oh, whoops, I had a little bit of a trouble understanding um, exactly what your line of reasoning was because you seemed to you talked about um, these three ways of not existing that was 
who was the who was the or Spinoza, Spinoza right? popularized that. And it seemed like you were kind of tying that in, but then when I was thinking about it, it seemed, it seemed to me that what you were saying is just based on this this axiom of modal logic that if something is possibly necessary, then it's necessary. Um, if it's possible. Yeah, but so so you were saying you you guys were talking about well, he, you made a comment that it, as long as somebody so so much as acknowledges the possibility that God exists then um, by necessity, God exists because it's part of the definition of the being we're talking about that it exists necessarily. And in modal terms, we would say that means uh, he exists in all possible worlds, right? Uh, though, yeah. though I haven't used that. But I, 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 do, I do understand the distinction that you made in your uh, comment, you know, between the yeah, ep so epistemic and the metaphysical. So a large portion of my comment, and it was a little long-winded, I'll give you that, um, but a large portion of it w was basically dedicated to explaining the difference, as I see it, between metaphysical possibility and epistemic possibility. Yeah. Um, and just to put it simply, I see epistemic possibility as uh, a statement. When you say something is possible in that sense of the word, um, you're really making a statement about the limitations of your knowledge or awareness uh, rather than making a statement about the thing itself. Whereas on, um, metaphysical possibility is more has to do with the existence of the thing itself. So the analogy I used was if you imagine that I have like a, an opaque bag and I tell you there's either two or three dice in the bag, six-sided dice, um, and I ask you the question, well, I don't let you look inside the bag. You, you don't know how many dice are in the bag, but I tell you there's either two or three, and I ask the question, is it possible to roll uh, a 13 with what's in the bag? Now, if you were speaking about epistemic possibility, you would say, you would be perfectly justified in saying, yes, it's possible to roll a 13 with what's in the bag, because for all you know, there could be three dice in the bag. But if you're speaking about metaphysical possibility, then it seems like what you really should say there is, I don't know whether it's possible to roll 13, because there could be, you know, two, two dice in the bag, there could be three. And if there's, there, if there's only two six-sided dice in the bag, obviously six and six is 12, you, you, there's, it's impossible to get a 13 out of that, right? So that was, I, I think, uh, for me, that was helpful. That analogy was helpful in understanding the difference. But uh, I think to tie that into what we were or what you were talking about, um, to say that if God possibly exists, then he necessarily exists. That's that statement, as far as I can tell, is only true if you're speaking about metaphysical possibility. And the people who say, you know, go, tying this back into your conversation with Alex, the people who say, you know, it's possible God exists. I don't think they're usually making a statement about metaphysical possibility. I think they're usually take, making a statement about the limitations of their knowledge. And the way you can easily check this is, that, is if they say it's possible that God exists, you just ask the question, well, is it also possible that God doesn't exist? And I think most of the time they'll answer yes, which is a clear indication that they're speaking about epistemic possibility because it would be, otherwise it would be a contradiction to say it's possible that God exists and it's possible that God doesn't exist that would be contradictory if you're speaking about metaphysical possibility. So my, my main criticism is, and, and by the way, yeah, in your comment, you, you said that you were being a little bit facetious when you said, welcome to monotheism. Um, and well, first I'll, I'll let, I've been talking for a little bit, so I'll, I'll let you chime in if you have any comments and then we can talk about your, your most recent response. Yeah, well, the first the first thing to say is that I uh, I don't go for philosophical rigor when I interact on social media or uh, in comments on YouTube and this sort of thing. So I'm a very playful, 
individual. And yeah. if I can use this word without being sacrilegious, I'm a little bit devilish. I like to go and jibe uh, and jab people and uh, just be yeah. silly and playful. So that's the first thing anyone listening to my videos should know is that I don't take myself too seriously. And I like playing with ideas and I like contradicting people to see what they'll come up with. And uh, I like being uh, shocking in a very, very, very childish and silly, unsophisticated way. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. the first thing. The other thing is that I'm well aware of the fact because I, you know, I myself was a believer, then an unbeliever, and then a believer again. Uh, of course, my belief was very different as an adult coming back to God than it was as a child having a naive faith in God. Okay, very different. But the 25 years in between was uh, various degrees of atheism mixed with uh, agnosticism. Everyone loves an agnostic because they're so nice and friendly. But um, you know, and a pantheism, all these sorts of things. When I was an agnostic, for most most of that time was probably pantheism and agnosticism, sort of just a really gentle, hippie mix of uh, friendly openness, right? Um, so I'm well aware, all of this to say that I'm well aware of the fact that people don't know all of the certain truths, truths that we can potentially become certain of. Like, I mean, there are people that don't understand the that one plus one equals two. There are people like I'm talking about high level mathematicians and scientists who don't understand that it is an objective, eternal and absolute truth that one plus one equals two. There are these people, household names that write books and that are famous scientists and mathematicians who don't do not believe that they do, do not know that it's a certain fact, right? Because speculation is so intoxicating that they've lost their bearings. There are also yeah. people that don't know the laws of thought are uh, axiomatic and they cannot be doubted. So, uh, and there are also people that deny their own existence. If you want to use the most absurd example, there are people that say, well, I don't know if I exist. Uh, I think I might not exist and uh, I doubt my own existence. Not knowing that in the very fact of denying their existence, they are affirming their existence, but that's beside the point. So I'm very much aware that people are confused and their intellects are dark and their wills are weak. And I have my whole Catholic explanation for all that, <clears throat> the fall of man. But um, I'm also aware of the fact that uh, in behind the ignorance and the veil and the confusion and the drunkenness, uh, there remains nonetheless the potential to discover the truth. You know, by seeking the truth, you find the truth, and uh, everyone who seeks the truth will find the truth. You're not going to find all of the truth all at once, but day by day, uh, depending on how hard you're working at discovering the truth, you're going to discover the essential yeah. saving truth. That's, that's my belief, and that's what happened to me, and uh, I encourage anyone uh, sort of as the, the first piece of advice that I would offer to any non-theist would be sincerely strive for the truth, seek the truth, and you'll find the truth. So I don't know if I answered the question there or not. I don't want to go too off topic, but I, I am a little bit curious to press you on something here when it comes to this idea that anyone who f seeks for the truth will find the truth. Um, yeah. First of all, I'm curious, it's hypothetically, if, if that were not true, if it were not the case that anyone who seeks finds, if there were people who honestly seek for the truth and don't find... Do you think that that would be something that you could come to recognize or do you think that you would go to your deathbed assuming that everybody, all the all the Muslims, all the Hindus, all the people who didn't come to, to agree with you in the end really just didn't seek the truth? So I, I, I worry that there's a, a potential hazard to this belief and that it, it 
kind of almost requires you to assume that anybody who doesn't agree with you really isn't seeking the truth. And no, 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 no. That's not what the church teaches. That's not. Sorry about that. That cutting yeah, you off yeah. there. The the church teaches that everyone who is seeking the truth uh, has what we would call sufficient grace to find the truth. Okay, so mm. there's the complicating issue that we can love lower goods. Uh, we don't necessarily love the highest good, right? So God is the highest good. So there are people that love creatures more than they love God. This is just a fact. Okay. So you have to bear in mind when I speak, I'm speaking as a Christian. So I'm not going to try to get into your head and explain things from your point of view, even though I've been there, I've been an atheist and agnostic. I just speak from my perspective. And I think you know, and I think my listeners all know that I admit very readily that I might be wrong about Christianity because I take Christianity on faith. I don't have certainty. I don't have absolute certainty about my faith, obviously, or it would not be faith. So I'm speaking as a Christian, a confirmed, very solid, uh, devout Christian. But um, I, at the same time, admit that I could be wrong about Christianity. Um, but in terms of monotheism, that's sort of the, the foundation and the bedrock of uh, my Christianity and that I cannot budge on that. But uh, this idea of seeking the truth and finding the truth, my religion teaches that all of the means of salvation are to be found within the perfect society. That's a dogma of the church, that the Catholic Church is a perfect society, meaning that it has all the means of salvation. Um, but elements, those, some of those elements, some of those saving elements are to be found outside, obviously outside of the Catholic Church, outside of the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church. And this is why Vatican II famously said that the Catholic Church subsists in the Catholic Church. The Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. So uh, this means that there are saving elements to be found outside of visible boundaries, and the good Muslim, Jew, and Hindu, and atheist can uh, follow those into the Church. That, I mean, that's the only way to go. You have to go to God, and uh, Jesus Christ is God, and the Church that Christ founded is one with Christ. This is deep mystery, as St. Paul says. So... All of this to say that I, in a certain sense, get to have my cake and eat it too as a Christian because I have uh, uh, a theology that says that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. So I've got a whole spectrum from finite to infinite. Uh, that's my domain and my purview. And then I've got uh, within the church, there's absolutely no possibility of salvation outside of the visible boundaries of the Holy Roman Catholic Church on the one hand. On the other hand, everyone's getting elements of the saving truth that are designed to bring them into the ark. And this image of Noah's ark is the image, my favorite image for salvation. If you're in the ark, you're saved. If you're off the ark, you're doomed. I mean, that's, it's just that simple. And there is only one truth. So uh, it's not prejudiced or biased or um, unkind to say there's only one truth and you have to have, uh, you have to find your way to that one truth to be saved. That's not unrealistic and it's not unkind it's just uh, it's just the reality there's truth and then there's lack of truth and uh, everyone who makes it to heaven will have found their way onto the ark so i hope that clarifies and sh shows the broad spectrum of uh, god's mercy his gentleness his patience how he allows people to come to the truth by various means and i have always said that they're good and holy people uh, adherents of all religions that are destined for heaven for sure yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that helps me understand a little bit, I guess. So this idea that everyone who seeks the truth will find it is sort of a dogma of 
of your faith, which you acknowledge is, a, is an article of faith. It's not something like we were talking about before that you're certain about. I guess my concern is that it seems to me that a world in which that statement is true, that everyone who seeks the truth will find it, is indistinguishable from a world in which it's not true, right? Because all those people who, you know, come to a different conclusion about what's true, you could always, you could always excuse that by saying, oh, well, they didn't care about the truth or they weren't, you know, interested in learning uh, or their heart wasn't in the right place. But it could also be the, pl- it, it could also be true that, that they were seeking with all of their heart and seeking genuinely and came to a different conclusion. And both so basically my main concern there is that it's there's like an epistemic problem in that a world in which that dogma is true is indistinguishable from a world in which it's false. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to spend too much time on this. Yeah, I guess I'll, sure. I'll let you, I'll let you yeah. speak on that. And then maybe we can go back to what we were talking about before. With yeah. regard to One quick thing to add, which is that there is this concept of invincible ignorance. The other, uh, I guess I'll add two things. The second thing is that I am, ignorant about more things than I know, and I'm wrong about more things than I'm right about, obviously, right? So my bar is low for salvation. My bar is very low because God is very patient, kind, and generous God, okay? So it's not like it's a strict club and you have to uh, be perfect. But, I mean, we should strive for perfection. We should strive, yes, but you, if you see how fall how far I fall short from perfection, then that will take all the weight and all the pressure off of you, uh, atheists and non-Christians and all the rest. Okay, all right. Well, let's go back to maybe I'll read your comment now on uh, that you just sent. Before sure. The um, so you say I finally taken the time to read your comment in full. Here's my quick response. I'm be- I'm being facetious when I say quote Welcome to monotheism or quote You are a de facto monotheist to a non-theist. I hope that was self-evident, but behind my uh, jocund zingers lies a whole lot of saving truth. Can we know with certainty that God exists? Uh, and oh, oh, sorry, you say we can know with certainty that God exists, and we can know that if it is possible for God to exist, then God does necessarily exist. So I think you would acknowledge. I think you're speaking about metaphysical possibility yeah. there. Yeah. Um, now, in the next sentence, you say something interesting. You say. You may be surprised to learn that the monotheist who says that it is possible that God does not exist is a de facto non-theist. Uh, and that, that was actually one of the questions I was planning on asking you uh, on this stream is, would you say, you know, if somebody church-going Christian were to say to you, you know, it's possible that God exists, would you really give that person the treatment that you gave Alex and say, oh, well, welcome to atheism. You're- <laughs> no, the short answer is no. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless, unless I'm friends with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it's a one-on-one, like if, uh, like it, let's say I just met you and you're a Catholic, but you think it's possible God doesn't exist. I would give you the full-on treatment. Like you are, <laughs> you strayed so far from monotheism, and you don't mm. even know it, right? Yeah. So this brings up an issue. Now, the reason I thought that was that was interesting is because you had just said prior that you were being facetious, and I did have, I did. Yeah get an air of facetiousness from what you were saying in that conversation with Alex, but it also seemed like you were speaking seriously as well. And, you know, yeah. sometimes there's a, a healthy mix of those two things, but it sounds yeah. here like when you say um, that a, a theist who acknowledges the possibility that God doesn't exist is a de facto non-theist, it doesn't seem like you're being facetious there. No. no. So, and that's the same reasoning that you would use to say the opposite about somebody who is, 
say, an agnostic. Um, and so if you're not being so facetious here when you say this about the, the theist, why would I... And, and I have a, a speculation about what, what's yeah. really going on here. Well, part of it part of it is a lack of faith. I have a lack of faith in those who don't have faith, right? So uh, if I'm speaking to someone with faith, there's a foundation to talk about necessary beings and all this sort of thing. If I'm talking with someone who thinks they're an ape, which most the- atheists do, they think that they're an ape and they evolved from apes, then I find it hard to take that person seriously, right? And I find it hard to give them any kind of uh, rigorous philosophical discussion whatsoever, just laugh them off like they're a moron. No offense to you if you're well, if you're really just uh, evolutionist. Taxonomy, isn't it? I mean, saying somebody's an ape doesn't necessarily... I mean, there are Christians who will say we're apes, and most I don't think Christians, they're... Most Christians, yes. Yeah, and so I don't... That's really, I, I see that as being neither here nor there. It's a taxonomical classification. Um, it, it doesn't even, you don't even necessarily have to believe in evolution, I don't think, to <laughs> say something like that. But but I think this might be getting a little bit off, off track, unless you have something you want to say. But, yeah, well, I wanted to say, uh, I've, I interviewed Nathan Ormond a couple of times back in the day. He's digital <clears throat> gnosis. And uh, I just listened to his participation with his friend, uh, Fodor, or whatever his name is, uh, 500, five, the 500 Arguments Against Christianity. And he responded to you today, by the way. I don't know if you saw Nathan made you a video today. <laughs> no way! Yeah, he, he responded today. It's about a two-hour. I don't think you're going to like the video very much, because <laughs> a lot of it is, I mean, he was kind of peeved by your attitude in the video. Yeah. Um, he thinks you were kind of, came off as kind of arrogant, which, I mean, I kind of, agree a little bit yeah, but yeah. We can I, I agree 100 percent um but uh, sorry uh, you were talking and i yeah the you. the point was that he he in his 500 uh, arguments against christianity he said well i don't see why jesus couldn't be a homosexual there's nothing wrong with ho- being a homosexual and all this sort of thing and you as a non-christian or whatever you are uh you probably believe that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality but you what you need to understand about christians about christians who actually know that God is a necessary being and who believe fully in the traditional teachings of the church, what you need to realize is that uh, purity is a big deal and uh, chastity is a big deal and uh, marriage is a big deal, intimacy is a big deal. And uh, I could go on for hours about the homoerotic uh, nature of theology, like it's very homoerotic when I consider myself the bride of Jesus Christ, you know, who is a man in the flesh, even now up in heaven. I mean, it can get very homoerotic to the ears of someone who's a sexual pervert, who says yes to lust. But um, it's not homoeroticism in that perverted sense of the word, but I am a man. God made me a man. I have, I have the nature of a human. I have the nature of a male human. And uh, the God-man Jesus Christ is my groom. He's the bridegroom and I'm the bride. So there's a certain passivity and there's a certain feminine role that I play with respect to God Almighty, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So the atheists would go to town with that because they're so titillated by anything that's kinky and weird and sexual. And they'll over-sexualize anything, including children, right? Because we're just apes. So uh, if the apes do it, it must be okay, right? So again, I have a, I have a lot of hatred for Satan and his minions, and I have a lot of hatred for sin and because I love Nathan and I love you and I love all the atheists and all the non-Christians, I uh, the hatred comes across 
maybe in a way that seems like it's directed at the person, but it's not. For, I mean, yeah. I would be going to hell. I'd be destined for hell if I had hatred for any human being, no matter how depraved and sick they seem to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. And I've never thought you'd... I mean, relatively speaking, you're pretty innocuous when yeah. it comes to theists and being like rude to people. Um, so yeah. I don't... Yeah, I don't have any problem with you in that regard. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm a way more sick and perverted sinner than anyone I could ever meet. So like you could tell me your deepest darkest darkest secrets and it just wouldn't phase me at all no matter what you did. Would not phase me because yeah. I'm darker, I'm sicker, right? So that's yeah. that's something that really takes the edge off of my uh judgmentalism if you want to see it that way, but I I do have a certain judgment based on my Catholicism, where it's like evil is evil, and I want all of my brothers and sisters to embrace Christ and his church and to avoid all the evils that are destroying the family, destroying intimacy. Like, like if, for example, if you enjoy looking at porn and masturbating, I would highly recommend you stop it, you know? Like, but it's not my business. You can do what you want, and I've done worse, you know? So yeah. uh, there's judgment, but uh, a lot of uh, compassion. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's go back to what we were talking about here with regard to possibility. Um, so, so when you say you may be surprised to learn that a monotheist uh, who says it is possible that God does not exist is a de facto non-theist, um, I'm curious why that's not facetious, but the other statement was. I just told Did you, you because I don't take atheists that seriously, and I don't oh, want okay. I don't want to engage intellectually with them because every intellectual engagement is proof of the existence of God. So it's just like such, it's such an embarrassment trying to, I, I mean, present company excluded because you know, you're a, you're a human being and I love and respect you, but to try to actually take philosophical discussion seriously with an atheist, I find ridiculous, laughable. So, um, and if I, you know, if I met a, a theist who thought, that there was any doubt whatsoever that God exists, then I mean, I would just consider that person on par intellectually with an atheist. I mean, it almost makes me wonder what the productivity of this conversation would be if if there's no, you know, if having a, a discussion about philosophy with an atheist is so futile. Um, is what is well what because you're not coming at me. You're not coming at me aggressively like the aggressive neither atheist. Was, neither was Alex though, right? And you. So that's why, I mean, that's why I brought up why would it be facetious with Alex and not, um, with not, and not with a theist. Well, because with, I know, with, I, I know that Alex doesn't, I know that Alex doesn't, uh, know yet. Okay. Like for one thing, he's got, uh, time on his side or he's young. Um, I know that he does not yet know. He has not yet discovered. He has not yet. It, it took me till age 39. I mean, everyone's got their own journey, but I know that he does not yet know that it's a necessary truth that God exists, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's why it's facetious. And uh, wanna, I think if you want to help him recognize that. It seems like being facetious probably isn't the most effective way to do that, right? If philosophy be. and reason really does lead to God, I would think there would be a great deal of productivity in having and not being facetious, not joking around. Well, I mean, I'm not saying you can't joke around, but I mean, I, I, I assume that you genuinely, if you could, would like to show him how reason can lead to the conclusion that God exists, right? 
yeah, one joke doesn't mean that everything I say is a joke, right? Yeah. And yeah, the other thing that. is, the other thing is that it is useful, just like I said in my interview with him, that I meditated on Anselm's ontological argument for eight years. I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. I didn't believe it was true, but I chewed on it for eight years. So one little offhand joke, stupid as it is, from me, facetious comment. Yeah could be something that goes into the back burner and just gets digested slowly over time. Because if he starts thinking about, well, how could, what is it about non-being? Like, uh, what are the ways that you cannot exist? And there are people, I mean, not to be sexist, but I think it's mainly men who sit around thinking about ideas all day long, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to put down women, but they have different sorts of priorities. It seems from my experience, women have a different set of priorities. So uh, um, most of my guests are men most of the ones who are interested in ideas are men. I hope that's not a sexist comment, but that just seems to be a pattern that I've recognized. So when this young man is seeking the truth and he promised me, I asked him to promise me that he, that he would seek the truth and he, he eagerly promised that. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I have no doubt that you are seeking the truth and I don't want to belittle your beliefs, uh, even though I, I just think it's silly. Now that, now that I'm a monotheist, I just think it's silly. Like, I mean, I think yeah. I was silly to believe in pantheism or to believe, uh, you know, uh, the things that I believed, even though I never believed in, um, evolution, I never believed I was an ape, right. Even as an atheist, I was, uh, yeah. leaning more towards pantheism, which was, which avoided that whole problem of how something yeah. came from nothing. All right, well, but anyway, I'm sorry. I just want to say, I do want to say, I'm sorry if I, uh, come across as an arrogant asshole and I, no, no, you that's fine. Um, no, that's fine. And I mean, like, I think obviously, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. I think that a lot of things you believe are, are ridiculous. Um, but, obviously. you know, it's not, there's not really, that's, we kind of should just take that as a given. Um, yeah. But maybe we could talk about, gosh, there are a lot of things we could talk about. I kind of would like to pick your brain a little bit on this idea that any kind of argument uh, entails the existence of God. Yeah. Um, now, uh, maybe I'll just present what I think is your reasoning behind this. Sure. Uh, and maybe you can tell me if this is, if this is accurate. So I understand you as saying not so much the arguments themselves uh, entail the existence of God, but mainly that the evaluation of arguments requires free will and free will requires God, the existence of God. And so by extension, you know, the process of evaluating arguments and coming to conclusions that um, involves things that entail the existence of God. Is that kind of your line of reasoning? Well, it's you're you're trying to sort of zoom in and uh, discover what I meant when really you should be zooming out and looking at all rational intercourse, all intelligible speech. So even if you're not arguing even if you're just speaking today i went to the grocery store there's no argument there it's just today i went to the grocery store i say mm. it you understand it that's proof of god okay because it's intelligible so everything everything literally everything is proof of god to me so it's just like this yeah. it's just like it, it seems ridiculous to say well uh, hey david have you got any proofs of the existence of god it's like that's all there is you know so Rationality, free will, like uh, arguments, uh, saying something's better than something else. Like, I, I want you and my non-theist listeners to understand very, very, very clearly that as a non-theist, you should, if you're an orthodox non-theist, you should 
believe that all there is in the universe is matter energy configurations. So it's different configurations of matter energy. They're evolving, they're so changing. Or if you want, can exist in the in the absence of God. Then, if if you think somebody who doesn't believe in God um, should, you're using that word right, should believe that everything is to be uh, consistent. To be consistent, you must believe that everything is just a very complex configuration of matter energy in space-time. That's it. That's all you can say. You can't say this configuration over here is better to that one. You can't say my brain is smarter than your brain. You can't say that your brain obeys the laws of physics, but mine doesn't. You can't say that. Everything is obeying the laws of physics. Everything is obeying the laws of nature perfectly, right? As a non-theist, that's what you're limited to. Uh, well, I mean, you could be, you could posit that there are um, abstract objects, non-physical things that are non-mental. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't see why um, the belief or agnosticism about God, how that commits me to believing that all that exists is the physical. Uh, why is it impossible for something non-physical to exist in a godless universe or outside a godless universe or in some different realm? Um, it's not clear. The key, the key to understanding my uh, perhaps extreme perspective is free will. That's the key to everything. Free will. Okay. okay free so that, will. Yeah. That's that the takes key to everything. So, so was my was my explanation before? I, I understand that you you wanted you, to broaden it. And yeah, say you narrowed it too much. You think that first of all, I'm curious why you think that intelligibility on its own um, is proof of God, but let's just stick to the free will thing. Cause I yeah. do think that was your reasoning behind when you're yeah. spe specifically talking about arguments, you believe yeah. that free will is a necessary component of that. that. And yeah. I think you're talking about, you would agree. You're talking about libertarian free will, not compatibilist free will or anything like that. Right. I don't believe in compatibilist free will. I don't believe in compatibilist free will. I believe that you, you have a non zero amount of freedom of choice or it's zero freedom of choice. Like it's zero or it's non-zero. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I've argued many times with atheists that it may be the case that we are exaggerating. All of us theists are exaggerating the amount of freedom that we have. That's irrelevant. If I can make one choice in this life, that's enough. That's enough for me. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I've always thought that people, Positing the existence of free will, libertarian free will, that doesn't entail that it applies to our beliefs. It could just apply to our actions. And if we're basing our belief in free will solely on sort of the qualia or the the intuition, the experience of think that that intuition that you could have done otherwise when you make a decision, if that's the basis for um, believing in free will, then I personally, and I don't know anyone who experiences that intuition when it comes to processes of inferential reasoning. For example, if you were to give me a syllogism that says, you know, the classic, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man. I don't, why is it that, I'm curious, I want to get your thoughts on this. Why is it that when we don't have that same intuition or that experience that we could have done otherwise when it comes to recognizing logical entailments as we do when it comes to the decisions we make? Do you, do you have a theory as to why it is that when you make a decision, you feel that yeah. idea that you could have done others. But when you come to a conclusion like Socrates mm -hmm. must be a man because all men are mortal, that it doesn't seem like 
personally, I don't feel like I have any choice. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to come to a different conclusion. And so what choice can I reach if not that if we do, even if we do have free will, it doesn't seem to apply to our beliefs. Right. The answer, the Catholic Church has an answer for this problem. And uh, I'm, one of the reasons I'm pissed off and annoyed at Nathan and his friends is that they haven't bothered to look into what the church teaches, right? It just pisses me off. Why don't you, if you want to attack Christianity, why don't you go and find out what the church teaches? Why don't you do that? Okay. Even his description of transubstantiation and uh, his 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 understanding of the incarnation is like there are people literally in eighth grade who understand Christian theology better than Nathan who claimed to be a Christian before as an adult. So I'm pissed off at him that he's so stupid or negligent or reckless with his with his theology. Like I'm pissed off. Okay. Um, but uh, there's an answer that the Catholic Church gives about why we're able to choose in different ways. And we, it's not as crystal clear as a syllogism when we're making moral decisions or when we're making any kind of choice in life that is truly free. Not absolutely free, but has a certain amount of freedom. Because there are always going to be constraints, like your wife nagging you like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. That's a constraint. If she nags you enough, you might change your mind. So it could be your mother, it could be your dog, it could be whatever. There are constraints, okay? But the Catholic Church teaches that there's a spectrum. It's not just syllogisms. There's a spectrum of goods. We're not presented with the absolute good, which is God. We're not presented with God Almighty here and now and uh, the sort of reality of heaven, the reality of hell. And the choice is clear. Obviously, everyone I know wants to have pleasure and sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All that good stuff is in heaven, not in hell despite the the lies of Satan. So everyone I know would choose, if given the option to be presented with the extremes, good and evil, they would choose good, right? So the church teaches that we're not given that most of the time. What we're given most of the time is relative goods. Like this is better than that, but it might be hard to discern and it's easy to get confused. It depends how, what the context is and what you're aware of and your education and all these sorts of things. So it becomes very complicated and God understands all of that. And that's why you should not be worried that I think that uh, people who have been sincerely seeking the truth, but don't convert to the visible Catholic church are in danger. Like, I'm not worried about it because it's complicated. Finding the truth is complicated, but God knows what invincible ignorance we have and he knows all the constraints and all the confusions that we have. So don't worry about that. But the the reason why it's not syllogistic whenever we make a choice and the reason why we feel that we are free is because we actually are free and the choice is not clear and these are not absolute goods that we're being presented with. They're relative goods. Like even when it comes to mealtime, like what and what am I going to have for dinner? Well, you know, you want to have some pleasure. You know, you want uh, different food groups and, you know, your own body and your own health and what agrees with you, what doesn't agree with you. It's very complicated. And so when I have a one world government forcing some gene therapy injection into kids and mothers and elderly and everyone in between, you know, even though there are a variety of different technologies being experimentally applied to these uh, human beings, I find it extremely reckless because we're all different. We're all unique. We all have our own uh, history in terms of health and our own allergies and our own uh, things. So there's not one size fits all, right? Certainly when it comes to health and medicine and anything else. And it's the same with uh, your love life. If I told you what kind of girl to go out with and what kind of like how to court her and all that sort of thing, it's none of my business. And you have your own way and you have your own taste. 
and uh, they're different goods competing for your attention and different goods uh, that you'll select among, but they're never the extremes of heaven and hell presented before you because that would just uh, it would just be so obvious and so easy. Everyone's going to choose heaven. Now, why didn't God do it that way? It's because you have to love freely. If you're not free, then it's not really love. It's just you're just a robot that's programmed by God to go to heaven and enjoy heaven with him. But there's no uh, there's no merit for, for praise there, just like there would be no merit. Uh, there'd be no merit for blame for those who God put into hell as little demon robots. So you have to have free will. If you're going to love, you have to love freely. See, it's interesting to me that the intuition and look, I, I don't believe in libertarian free will and I could and I intend to talk about why that is. But w w it's interesting to me that the intuition that I could have done otherwise applies to my choices. But it's never once in my entire life applied to anyone I love. I've never felt that I have control whenever I've fallen in love with you know, a girl or something. Mm -hmm. It's just it just happens on its own. I don't, I don't seem to have any choice yeah. in the matter. And no matter how hard I try, when I have tried mm -hmm. to stop, it doesn't work. And so for me, for me to not take that as evidence that even if we do have free will, it doesn't seem to apply to certain ask certain domains, such as belief acquisition or love. It seems, it, it, I, it seems like if we do have it, it would be limited to our choices. Okay. Can uh, I, things, can I interrupt but, you there, please? It's but, very important. Uh, I'm going to turn my camera off because I, I have to pee really bad. And sure. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Are, are you going to stay I'm, I'm listening? listening. Uh, yeah. I just want to okay. figure out how to mute myself and uh, keep talking. And when you're uh, muted, I'll tell you that you're muted. Okay. I can't I see it. you now, but I can hear you. Hello. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Okay. Go do your thing. Meanwhile, I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Orthodoxy and the religion of today. I'm not going to say your real name just in case uh, you don't want it said. I don't know why that would be the case. But uh, hey, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I can take this time now to read what you've written. David is a total Chad. Not sure what a Chad is. Probably you're making fun of me. That's fine. I'll have to look that up what a Chad is. Probably like a dweeb or something. Or is that like a a guy on campus that's annoyingly overly smug or something. <laughs> okay, so Kieran, Kieran, it's Kieran, right? Am I right? Is it Kieran or is it your brother? Orthodoxy and the true religion of today. Uh, for what it's worth, you look a Chad to Chad. Epistemology will only take you so far in determining the validity of any worldview coherentism alongside the transcendental argument seems to be the most consistent, albeit circular framework. I love circular frameworks. Nothing more godly than that. I'm back. All right. A chat, by the way, is someone who gets all the ladies. He's like, oh, an really? Alpha. Are you serious? He's an alpha male, basically. <laughs> yeah. Really? Thank you very much. It's a, it's a neologism. It came, that word started being used like over the past two years. Uh, it's just okay. one of those new words that, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm definitely not a Chad. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, sorry, continue with what you were you were saying before. I was just reading some of his, uh, my friend Kieran's in the ch in the live chat here. He says, uh, David is arrogant and sucks super hard. <laughs> Wait, is Nathan an atheist now? Yes, he is. Atheists don't actually exist. Not pragmatically anyway. 
Answer a fool according to his folly. These are just random comments he's giving us yeah. here. Yes, because arguments presuppose logic and a whole host of other transcendent truths. Agreed. Transcendent truths presuppose a transcendent origin. Chad, according to your worldview, the conversation you're having with David is simply two bottles of soda spouting off fizz. Which fizz is right? Actions are ex executed on the basis of beliefs. I believe my car will start, therefore I turn the key in the, in the ignition. Simple. Nathan's Protestantism led him to atheism as a prot, Protestant. You either become atheist or you join the true church. Amen. Love is an emotion, ex love isn't an emotion exclusively. It's the willing of the good of the other. That's my extra comment to add on there. I choose to continue to love my wife and son. You can say it, brother. Uh, yes, sir, Kieran, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You think so, you could uh, choose not to is what I would ask that. Yeah, question. I want to I talk about free will and the best proof that I have of free will. Okay, like in terms of a pragmatic day-to-day -day thing. It's okay. like I'm a, I'm a human being. I was created by an all-good God. And because of uh, the free will that we have, we're able to choose moment to moment for God or against God. God's will or my will, right? Jesus famously said, take this bitter cup from me, but not my will be done. Your will be done, God. And then he has suffered and died and now he's reigning gloriously in heaven. Okay? So we have to imitate Jesus Christ. We have to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. But we can also complain and say, God... Can you please take away this burden and this problem and this thorn from my side? And we can complain to God. But what we can't do, uh, if we want to make it to heaven, what we can't do is sin. Not even a venial sin. We can't deliberately do a venial sin. But I deliberately sin. I deliberately do at least venial sins. Okay, just let that sink in. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to deliberately sin if I want to go to heaven. But I choose to do it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I choose to do it, even though the consequence is eternal punishment, infinite punishment forever and ever and ever. You never get out of it. So I'm choosing that. Why? Because I'm stupid and selfish and weak and my intellect is dark and my will is weak. So I say, well, it's just a little bit of pleasure and I can repent and, uh, you know, I'm bored, lonely, angry, frustrated or whatever the case may be. So I'm just going to grab this pleasure. It's handy. It's right before me. And it's like, I know God doesn't want me to do it, but I'm going to do it. Okay. So I have free will. It's not, I'm not choosing the higher good. I'm choosing the lower good. If that's not proof of free will, I don't know what is. I, you as a non-theist, I don't know if you have that. You only have your conscience and you can say, well, I should eat something healthy, but I want to have chocolate and chips or whatever. Like that's what I do. But I don't know if you do that, but I don't know if you take it to heart and you say, I'm really uh, putting my eternal destiny in jeopardy by doing that. I don't think you do that. I think you just say, I'm going to be food for the flowers eventually one way or another. So I may as well just, you know, eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow I die. I'm going to be a plant food, worm food. You said something interesting there. And this is going to tie into what I think is the most powerful argument against free will that I've ever heard. And I know it's been presented to you many times. Uh, I think T-Jump brought it up to you multiple people have brought it up to you um but it seems to reduce all of our actions to brute contingency and i guess the simplest way to put that is that um either we do act we the actions we take the decisions we make are for reasons yeah. or they're not for reasons if the if the decisions we make are for reasons then they are determined by those reasons uh if we do if the actions we take are not for reasons then they are by definition, random, which yeah. means there's no 
There's no fact in virtue of which a person chooses A over B. Now, you said just a second ago that the reason you sin, you attributed it to certain things like short-term stupid, short-tempered. But here's the problem, though, is that you're in, in acknowledging free will. That can't be a sufficient explanation for why you sinned because you could have done otherwise. And there's never really any any answer to the question, as far as I can tell, as to why it's when, when somebody chooses A over B, whether A is sinning or not sinning or anything, why did the person choose A over B? Mm-hmm. And it seems, and your response to this, every time I've heard this brought up to you, is mm-hmm. to say, well, look, we don't comprehend free will, we apprehend free will. Yeah. And to me, that just seems question begging, because really yeah. what you're saying is in, or, in order to apprehend free will, free will has to exist. But you've just yeah. been presented with an argument that says that God doesn't or not that God, that free will doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you're not it seems to me like you're just basically asserting like like the proof that you just gave me that you have free will is that you can choose to sin. You can choose to. And the implication there is that you could have done otherwise. But that's the very yeah. thing. In I don't always that, sin. I don't always choose to sin. Yeah. But right. what is the reason for any particular sin if you could have done otherwise, given whatever you attribute that sin to, whether it's stupidity or anything, yep. for you to say that you could have done otherwise is basically an, an admonition that what you're say what you're stating is the cause of your sin isn't really the cause of your sin at all because you could have done otherwise. And why the ultimate didn't you cause the ultimate never cause any answer to the questions. Yeah, the ultimate cause. Could've... The ultimate cause is my free will, right? That's the thing. So let's say you're. Um, you're a father to two children. You love both children. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them secretly annoys you. Okay. So you have your favorite, but no one knows that it's a secret. Okay. So you, they're always asking you for stuff and you make a conscious effort. Well, I have to be fair, even though this one annoys me and I like this one. And you try to like correct your bias. Okay. But sometimes you just, you're just sort of too busy and tired to check your biases and you just spoil your favorite and you neglect and abuse your the one that annoys you. So then you have a nice meal and you take a nap and then you get your wits about you again and you course correct. You say, well, you apologize to the one that annoys you and you give him a little thing that he wanted and uh, you just course correct. Okay. So there are different levels of awareness that we have, like we're just overwhelmed or just going on autopilot and following your instincts. And then there are times where we feel alert and awake and aware and self-conscious and we regret maybe having been on autopilot because autopilot usually isn't the best way to go, right? So I hope you can relate to this in some sort of scenarios in your life and you can understand that we choose, we do really choose and the ultimate cause is our free will, which is a a mystery that no one can ever claim to have understood. I mean, uh, Immanuel Kant uh, pointed out some of these, uh, what they're called, antinomies or whatever, the four antinomies. Uh, free will was one of them, right? It's just, it's beyond the intellect. It's not irrational, it's beyond the rational, right? So, I mean, it is a given that if there is no free will, there is no morality. That's just a given, because what is what is morality? It's It's the goodness or lack thereof of the choices that we freely make. That's what it is. There can be no merit... Uh, we can't merit praise or blame without free will. So it, it is a given. It is a self-evident truth that we have free will because everything that you value in your life depends on free will. The love, your reasoning, your yeah. the arguments you make, everything. And look, I'm happy to talk about whether 
free will is required for morality and things like that. But this is another example of where I, and I mean this with all respect, but yeah. I feel like you're not really engaging with the argument because I mean, the closest thing you said that there that I think is relevant to the argument is when you said that free will is the cause. But yeah. the problem with that is that let's say I go to the store and I can buy chocolate or vanilla ice cream and yeah. I choose chocolate. Okay. Now is saying, say we want to post the question. Well, why did I choose chocolate rather than vanilla vanilla? saying, well, because I made a free will choice doesn't explain why I chose chocolate over vanilla because it's not the only reason if I had chosen vanilla, that would have also been a free will choice. Right. But it's not the only so reason. It's not so the only there's reason. nothing that really accounts for on the free will hypothesis. There's no fact in virtue of which a person actually chooses A over B. Even if you even if you want to say, hey, maybe he chose chocolate because he likes chocolate more. But, uh, you know, on a compatibilist uh, view, that makes perfect sense. But on the view of free will, that's not right. really an explanation of why the person chose yeah. chocolate because but, you got to always say he could have chose vanilla. And so yeah. why didn't he? But you know, my little story with the two kids, one that you favor and the other one you disfavor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there is a right way of parenting and spoiling one kid and abusing the other is not the right way of parenting. Okay. So there's a sort of like a moral standard that we try to live up to when we're parents. I'm not a parent. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you are, if you're planning on being, but uh, there's a moral standard that we can avail ourselves of and measure our actions and thoughts, words, and deeds by. And uh, when you're in that lazy autopilot mode, you just revert to your instincts and your lower base nature, right? Your animal, your animal nature. So when when we make a choice that's informed by truth and by goodness and justice and all these sorts of things, it is meritorious necessarily. I mean, this is, this is self-evident and, you know, choosing which flavor of ice cream you want is uh, sort of trivial. Let's put it that way. It's a trivi trivial choice. So I think mm -hmm. we have to, uh, even though I think that morality uh, proves the existence of free will, I also think that free will depends on a standard of morality, which is eternal, objective, and absolute. So there's sort of a chicken and the egg thing there too, right? It's like, uh, I don't I don't bother with trying to wrap my head around truth and justice and beauty and goodness and all these sorts of transcendentals because they are trans transcendental. And I'm just a little schmuck who wants to eat ice cream. Like, that's it. I'm selfish and lazy. So... But I can, by the grace of God, that's how I would phrase it, by the grace of God, I can form better habits and get rid of my bad habits slowly. And uh, I can promise you it's a very, very, very slow process. In my case, uh, there are people that have a lot of natural virtue who are very diligent in pursuing the natural virtues, and uh, they can outdo me any day of the week. But I happen to have had the grace to say yes to conversion and to say yes to God. And I have the supernatural um, theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and I'm climbing up that narrow path uh, to heaven. That's that's the objective. But it doesn't mean that I have a lot of virtue or that I'm uh, a good person better than an atheist or anything like that. It just means that I've set my eye on a goal that seems unattainable, but which God has promised me through his church is attainable, even though I may not achieve much in this lifetime in terms of virtue. I... The, the, the mere fact of striving, like to go back to this idea of seeking the truth and you will find it, the mere fact of striving, St. 
uh, um, Teresa of the Child Jesus famously said, it's not the person who, you know, we're not expected to climb many, many rungs on the ladder to perfection. What we're expected to do is to humbly have the intention of just lifting your foot to get your foot onto the first rung on the ladder of virtue. And uh, that intention, that striving to lift your foot onto that very first rung on that long and arduous climb toward God, that in and of itself is enough and more than enough. And to desire more than that in a way is to fall into pride. So there's a lot in Catholic theology, especially uh, mystical theology, that has to do with uh, humility versus pride. And that's... That's uh, another reason why I'm uh, a little bit harsh with non-theists, because I think it's a very prideful position. But we, we can explore that or not. It's up to you. But I certainly don't uh, yeah. mean any offense by that. No, 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 taken. Um, okay, so we're we're at an hour now, which you wanted to keep it. And my battery is getting really low. So if I'm going to keep going, I have to go to my car, get my charger. But um, I'm thinking maybe I'll just offer my final statement and then maybe yeah. we could pick this up another time. Um, We've done a full hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it again and we'll have a more focused uh, a conversation. Okay, but uh, yeah. yeah, give your final thought and we'll just wrap it up there. Okay. Well, okay. So, with regard to the free will thing again, um, you brought up the point that, that what, choosing what kind of ice cream is kind of trivial, at least compared to moral decisions. I don't see that as being a symmetry breaker because I could, I feel like I could just um, construct a new thought experiment that instead of having to do with ice cream, it has to do with some morally significant choice. Um, and I think the same concept or the same problem would apply. Um, when it comes to what you were saying about the two children, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I may, I may have to go re-listen to this to understand the full relevance of how that ties into the free will thing. So I, I'll, I'll do my due diligence and go re-listen to what you said about that. Cause I'm not sure I fully um, followed all that or the relevance of all that. But um, I thought this was a great discussion and um, it, you're, fun guy to talk to so maybe you know a couple months from now we'll do it again yeah a couple weeks if you have the time uh yeah, we'll, we'll keep it fresh so we don't forget everything we said and we can sort of go deeper but um take care of yourself i really appreciate you coming on and uh talking to me i also really appreciate the depth of your comments and the thoughtfulness and you. uh usually like i said on social media and youtube comments I tend to just be silly and flippant and just uh, brief, but I do appreciate it when someone uh, comes across as actually uh, wanting to explore the truth and discover the truth and share their insights and their, their thoughts. It's, uh, it's, it's humbling because um, I find it rare in today's world where someone is actually concerned about the truth, seeking the truth. And I think that needs to be applauded and encouraged, especially among the youth. I don't know a lot of young people, um, but you can bet your bottom dollar that I'll be encouraging young Alex in Australia to uh, to continue on his path, because I think he's on an excellent path, and I think he's a bright young man and he can find his way. And uh, same with you. You said you're, what, what age did you say you have now? I'm 31. 31. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're not exactly an old man. You're a young man. At the, I think that's considered sort of 31 is uh, the prime of life. That's the age Christ died. That's sort of like the age of perfection. So, uh, yeah, I encourage you and I applaud you. And uh, I want to thank you sincerely for uh, for seeking the truth and for coming and sharing your uh, your point of view and some of your questions. 
And I appreciate that I'm a bit frustrating to talk to because I'm scatterbrained and uh, very flippant and silly. But I do, I you know, in behind the chaos and the the ambiguity of, of my thought processes are just a few basic principles and uh, they manifest themselves in strange thought experiments and sometimes in poor examples or poor analogies. But um, if I can just keep trying to express these basic principles in a way that uh, people can understand, I think there's some listeners that benefit from it. So I'll just keep on doing doing me as I say, and you keep on doing you and we'll talk soon and uh, uh, reach out by email anytime. Okay. Sounds good. Great. Talking, we'll talk man. very soon. Bye. Take care. Sure. Bye.